Hey everyone, it's James from Compost Bin of History, coming at you from post-production today. So, we recorded an extra-long episode on the Clean Water Act, a monumental piece of environmental legislation here in the United States. And because we went so long in this episode, I decided to split it into two parts to make it a little bit more digestible for you, the listener. So in this part one, we basically introduce the Clean Water Act by talking a lot about Iowa, per usual, and we also look at the science of water and the water cycle. Now, if you want to skip past all of that dry sciencey stuff and get right to the fun history part, feel free to jump ahead to part two of the Clean Water Act. Thanks for listening. Here's part one, Clean Water in America. A hot election return. Oh, okay, I thought you said something else. <laughs> Fresh from the state of Colorado, it looks like Dark Lord Hickenlooper himself is going to be the new senator for the Mountain State. Oh, he wasn't. Was he the governor? He was the governor previously. Oh, yes. okay. <clears throat> I just uh, don't remember him from when he just tried to run for president. Yeah, it was so funny because he was like, "If I lose, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna run for Senate." Because I'm really interested in being president only. And then he lost, and he was like, I guess I'm going to run for Senate. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he was interested in being president. It's just no one else was interested in him being president. Yeah. So I voted to, we tried to primary him. We tried to keep him out of the Senate. We actually got, this is very exciting, we got the last living heir of the Romanov dynasty to come and try and, I mean, if anyone, who else could, like, possibly take out dark lord hickenlooper i mean who else could completely (laughs) shit a political (laughs) career down their leg like you know pretty effortlessly but a romanov (laughs) well yeah um didn't didn't make it in the primary so we got stuck with 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 hickaloops as we like to call them uh you know what uh, they just uh find that person a mystic and uh they'll run the whole state eventually Dude, Hickenlooper needs a Rasputin for sure, man. Oh my god. Oh, dude, like I could little... <laughs> I could totally be a Rasputin for Hickenlooper. Like a Grima worm tongue to to his like, you know, king of king of Rohan kind of. Totally, dude. I can get all like greased up and covered in dirt and like just become a complete alcoholic degenerate and like start having sex with like all of the I don't know, what would they even be called like all of the, the attendants, like the all of the the pages and the aides and stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is his burden. Yeah, I'll even throw in a Russian, like a caricatured Russian accent, just to be safe. <laughs> it looks like Hickenloop's kind of won it in a walk too. Like, nice. Um, I yeah. think they've already called South Dakota for Trump. What? South Dakota. <laughs> South what? I am not surprised. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well. Well. So obviously we're recording this on election night. Welcome to the compost bin of history. This is not an election night special. We just want to make that clear. (laughs) I mean, it may be election night and this may be sort of a special episode, but those two things have no relation to one another. (laughs) 
Do you need to pull your mic down a little bit towards you there, Jared? Oh, probably. Can you not hear me? Well, it's just I see you kind of straining a little bit. I want you to be more, a little more natural. Ah, okay. You can put you can put the sock in the in the the space if you want. Like if you want to put it right in front of you there. I don't know what I'm doing with this. Oh, speaking of the sock, uh, I just got yeah. notified by Sweetwater today that uh, my pop filter and my shock mount thing have shipped. All right, all right. Should make should make these a little bit more crispy, crunchy, and should help uh, with my editing a little bit. So that's exciting. Yeah, I'll have even less of a reason to sound like shit. <laughs> Should we jump right into it? Should we introduce the topic? Uh, yeah. Don't we like do something where we're like, welcome to the compost bin of history. I am uh, your co-host. Yes. James. Well, you say James. I, uh, I'm James. <laughs> I am not James. <laughs> That's Jared. <laughs> and we're going to stick our pitchforks into some old ideas and mix them around with the new ones because that facilitates even organic decay yeah and we're gonna hope that it does not smell as rotten as this election going on right now (laughs) well unfortunately we're going to talk about the clean water act which although you know the name would kind of indicate um clean and helpful purpose we're gonna find that it does stink in a few ways particularly how it's been interpreted over the years now, what is clean water? <laughs> oh, well, we'll get there, okay? Again, you know, this is actually, it's good that we're kind of coming off of that episode on environmental ethics, because we're going to talk a lot about the legal and the judicial system today, and we're going to talk about how the way that laws are created and interpreted don't always sync up with our uh, ethical expectations of the world and society. And so um, to kind of introduce the topic, I thought we'd start with a bit of recent news from our favorite, the Des Moines Register out of Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) So this is from uh, Donnell Eller. And I just want to thank Donnell personally, because I think she did some really nice reporting here. And I want... That's a lady's name? Yeah, Donnell. Okay. Yeah, Donnell Eller. Donnell Eller. Right. Yeah, this is some this is just like some kind of unexpectedly good reporting on the environment which we don't get a lot of in a lot of media, especially but not in Iowa. This, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did she get lost? So, no, no, she's like the the agribusiness and like ag economy type um reporter she also recently oh so she's like our goobert she's she's like the iowa goobert yeah she's like a regional goobert and i will throw out her some of her recent work (laughs) work on that last name a little bit but uh all right yeah i like her already she's got the nice first name though donnell that's true just think of how much better she would be if her name was donnell goobert <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I need to play matchmaker with some of these uh, agribusiness reporters. We'll just call her Don L. Gubert anyway, because I kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. 
So some of her recent works include stuff like that we might be interested in, like homeowners versus hogs. How close is too close to town? You know, again, kind of hinting at what we're going to talk about today, water issues, right? Yeah, I think they need to move the homeowners out of town. (laughs) Some mid-American wind turbines have been shut down after the blades have fallen off of them. Very concerning. (laughs) Maybe they should have done that before they fell off. (laughs) Well, we got to have people like Donnell reporting on it to let us know. Uh, When's the last time you've been out by like out in Iowa to see just how like total the proliferation of wind turbines are in this state uh like that's as i recall there's quite a few that's got to be our state tree at this point like (laughs) (laughs) well and um one more article that a recent donnell work this eastern iowa restaurant has the state's best tenderloin Ooh. so do you want to know what Eastern Iowa restaurant it was, Jared? I feel like we should allow the tension to build for a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll tease you with it's in Cedar Rapids. Oh, that is a town that I've heard of before. <laughs> I've even driven through there with a load of pork that might have been used for those tenderloins. Ooh, all right. We might have a little economic interaction here with Jerry. Yeah, I've got a little bit of uh, personal... A uh, I'm a stakeholder in this. <laughs> and those tenderloins. <laughs> I've seen pigs. I eat. <laughs> all right, well, uh, without going too deep back into our Big Ag episode, this is kind of this is still a little bit about Big Ag, but as it relates specifically to water issues. I mean, yeah. in the state of Iowa... The biggest threat to clean water is big egg. <laughs> because it's the biggest industry. Yeah. Right? Like um It's all we got. And as such, yeah. I don't know. We we pump out some turbines anymore though, too. Well, it sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like the blades are like flying off of them willy nilly. Well, so many of them. you know, the the blade isn't technically part of the turbine. It's an accessory. <laughs> you know, like when it's windy and your hat flies well, off, you, it's like that. You got to pay extra for that third blade. <laughs> That's true. You got to unlock the DLC. <laughs> All right. So, um Don L Eller, Don L Guber writing for the Des Moines Register says that Environmental group says two companies in Iowa have escaped enforcement action despite dozens of clean water violations. And this is from October 8th of 2020. And I think this is a good way to introduce the Clean Water Act, the history of the Clean Water Act, why it's a thing, and the problems it faces with interpretation and enforcement. And... As we go deeper in, we'll look at those issues of ethics and legalism, the judicial system, and materialism um, to kind of tie in with what we've done recently. So over the past three years, this is quoting from uh, Donnell, over the past three years, two Iowa companies have repeatedly told the state and federal governments that they've exceeded the amount of pollution they can discharge into the Mississippi and Missouri rivers, a national environmental group says. Yet, amid cuts to environmental agencies, it also says no action has been taken against these companies. I wonder if those two data points are related. Yes. Um, 
so this is from the Environmental Law and Policy Center. This is the nonprofit kind of like action group. You know, we talked a little bit about people like this when we did Big Ag. You know, these are the um, hall monitors, right? Like the people who are there to provide some moral compass um, in this morass of, yeah. of idiots trying to make money. The people that do laudable reporting ineffectively. Exactly. They they write stuff that no one sees except for Donnell. Yeah, and I, she tells us about it. I live in this state and I've never heard of her before. I, maybe I've maybe I've read one of her articles or two, but well, Donnell isn't with the Policy Center, right? The Policy Center is what she's reporting on. Ah, okay. So, but that's why we need Donnell. That's why we love Donnell. So basically, what has happened is that um, in the in a report released Wednesday, this Policy Center blames the lack of enforcement specifically on. Uh, Presidente Donald Trump, who slashed the spending and staffing needed to enforce the Federal Clean Water Act. Um, instead of Wait enforcing minute, the act. How long did she say this has been going on? Um, since 2017. So for three years. Oh, okay. Basically since Trump came into office. Okay. In essence. I thought she was going to tell us this has been going on for 15 years, but somehow this is Donald Trump's fault. Well... As we'll look at once we get into the Clean Water Act and the episode as a whole, we'll look at some of the the more nuanced issues and how, you know, this is just one, you know, peel of the onion. As right. This is a drop in the very dirty water bucket. Yes. Yes. So um, these companies included um, ADM in Clinton, Iowa on the Mississippi River and Jolita, USA and Sergeant Bluff on the Missouri River. And they have racked up dozens of violations since 2017. And I think dozens is an understatement here. As this article says later, they were in violation of pollution standards for hundreds of days. So how those violations are meted out by the authorities mean little to me. I just know that for what was deemed safe, these people were not doing it and have not for a long time. Okay. And what is deemed safe is probably already too high. Yes. Yeah. The Policy Law Center for the Environment said that ADM bioprocessing in Clinton repeatedly violated permit limits on the discharge into the Mississippi River. And basically, in this Clinton, Iowa facility, they are processing corn and they're using water in that process to um, basically act as a temperature sink, right? And that's a very common industrial use of water. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, the actual material science of water shortly. That's why every power plant is on a river. Exactly. You need water to, to catch the excess heat. And in this type of industrial process, you're supposed to limit the temperature that water goes into some river or... Um, you know, lake or whatever at, because if you're just dumping like boiling hot water into a river, obviously that's going to have a pretty severe effect on the ecosystem. You're <laughs> going to boil the fish. We're literally also doing climate change to the rivers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it leads to like algae blooms. It um, totally fucks with, you know, the dissolved oxygen levels. So this is, this is something that's important to regulate. And basically, there's been no regulatory action. However, 
ADM spokeswoman Jackie Anderson disputed the group's findings, saying ADM bioprocessing has not exceeded its permanent limit for temperature on water discharges. Anderson said instead that ADM's separate corn processing plant in Clinton had struggled to meet the requirement, but that the company reported the problem and has worked amicably with Iowa environmental enforcement officials to, quote, resolve the matter, unquote. Man, she's really good at this. They should pay her a lot of money to do that. (laughs) I think that she probably does make a lot of money. But as you can see, there's a lot of like sidestep, sidestep and bullshit. Yeah. Also, I mean, why would anyone be interested in what she has to say about this matter? Right. Yeah. She's a spokeswoman. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, she's trying to say, well, it wasn't really ADM. It was our separate corn processing plant. When yes. you're like, um, it's still owned by fucking ADM. Well, only technically. <laughs> and they struggled to meet the requirement. They didn't fail to meet it. They struggled. However, the company actually, and that that's what we said in the top. These companies are reporting this. They have to report this shit. And they're just publicly reporting. We're violating all these rules all the time. And, well, apparently there's been an amicable resolution to the matter with Iowa enforcement officials. Yes, quite amicable for the ADM Corporation. Yeah, so in response, though, the Environmental Law and Policy Center said that... Oh, I'm sorry. So, the again, it's like, because now it, the Policy Law Center has to respond to this bullshit, their, their response sounds even confusing as well. So the ELPC said that ADM bioprocessing is the name on the permit within EPA's system, but confirmed Thursday that the permit is identified in Iowa's database as ADM corn processing. So who gives a fucking shit? Um, Damn it. Don't you it hate said- it when a paperwork <laughs> mishap is the difference between uh, people finding out about your bullshit and not? Wow. It seems like a really convenient paperwork mishap. I don't know. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I gotta take you got to take a call? Yeah. yeah, sure, man. Yo, what's up? Not much, man. Just put another coat of stain on this railing. I'm kind of in the middle of something here. What uh, What are you doing about 2 p.m. tomorrow? Uh, no plans, really, man. Want, you want to do a little work? Yeah, if there's something to do, for sure. Well, there's definitely some stuff to do. Maybe down there about 2 p.m. Okay. I'm gonna need I'm you to. Phone. I'm gonna need you to be ready for anything. For real? Nah, don't bring your gun. Uh, I don't. Not gunworthy. You don't deserve that kind of advantage. Oh Jesus. <laughs> oh no no okay. don't don't worry I'll I'll make sure the old man is far away. Oh shit. No no no. Pretty much been told that he's not allowed to be around when we're doing shit like that anymore. Yeah I gotta I gotta let you go but uh, right. plan on being down there about two tomorrow. Two tomorrow Bridgeport. All right sounds good. All right man. All right, (laughs) back to the show. Right. Yeah, so basically there was this this little finagling with paperwork for ADM bioprocessing versus ADM corn processing, but the Policy and Law Center said that it could find no formal public record of ADM resolving the problem. So they reported that they've resolved it amicably by working with Iowa DNR officials, Department of Natural Resources, but if they did, there's certainly there's no record of it. And you would think that, you know, with a public department, there would be some like public records that could be found. Well, maybe they just need to hire her, too, and then she could find it. 
<laughs> so the the attorney for this uh, environmental law and policy center, Josh Mendelbaum, said that other Iowa companies likely have also escaped enforcement for excessive pollution discharges. But this report focuses on ADM and Jolita because they have the largest number of violations. And Jolita, unlike ADM, didn't even send a spokesperson to comment. They just were like, fuck you. We're too busy violating this to even act like we care. Right. Again, this is all based on publicly available U.S. EPA data. And the group also examined federal and state government spending to enforce the Clean Water Act. Now, what we're going to talk about at large today is the Clean Water Act. And very simply, just to because you know this is going to get stupidly complicated pretty soon, right? But very simply, the act requires the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to protect rivers and lakes by ensuring that water is safe for both swimming and fishing. That's the standard you want for clean water. You can take a dip, you can catch a fish, and eat it. <clears throat> Makes a lot of fucking sense, right? Like uh, I would say that's a good standard. I mean, when was this written? In the 70s? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, I guess based on the 70s, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, essentially that you can safely do that, that you should be able to safely, you know, your your kid, someone who doesn't know jack shit about pollution or anything, your four-year-old child should be able to frolic around in any body of surface water in the U.S. And you don't have to worry about them getting fucking, you know, E. coli or uh, exposed to radon or, you know, incredible levels of arsenic from pollution or something right likewise you should be able to catch a fish and not have to worry about mercury poisoning when you eat it just any fish i basically i mean that's that's the that's this the essence of the clean water act okay right well i don't have any problems with how that's framed at all well once we get into the (laughs) nitty-gritty i mean yeah if they had just left it at that and said like this is the one standard we're going to apply can can a child go swimming can you catch a fish and eat it safely and if they had just said anything that violates that in any way you can't fucking do it i think we would be in like a way better society (laughs) okay i could agree to that (laughs) but um so i mean i'm just thinking it's not being enforced (laughs) i'm just thinking about all of the waterways around me that you cannot do both of those things yeah it's well and we'll get we'll get to that as well so, um, but the EPA is required to, to like study and enforce these things. However, it's not being enforced, which sends a signal to companies that should be following the law that it doesn't matter, according to the lawyer for the Environmental Law and Policy Center. Yeah, we got a bunch of cats watching mice right now. Right. Um, they don't think there's going to be penalties for polluting, and it creates a lot of bad behavior, he says, which, yeah, obviously. Let's talk a little bit about Jolita as well. A place that I turned down a job offer from. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, we mentioned this on our last one, but Jolita basically like renders um, like pork parts into gelatin um, for, you know, making like gummy worms and shit. Right. So in Western Iowa and Sergeant Bluff, which is near Sioux City, Jolita USA reported Again, they self-reported exceeding permit limits for releases of nitrogen as ammonia 
and biochemical oxygen demand. Basically, what they're doing with their effluent that they're releasing into the Missouri River is pumping out shitloads of nitrogen. They're fertilizing the river. How could that be problematic? Well, and that's another common source of nitrogen pollution is from field runoff, which we'll talk about when we talk about sources of pollution. (coughs) Well, it's a good thing there aren't thousands and thousands of fields in Iowa. Well, exactly. There's already incredible nitrogen pollution going on and phosphorus pollution from all of those um, agricultural uh, or, yeah, farming operations in that sense. But here in this industrial setting, they're also putting more nitrogen into the river. And (laughs) I feel like the state motto of Iowa should be like, nitrogen, it's what rivers crave. (laughs) (laughs) So Jolita reported exceeding these permit limits for nitrogen. They exceeded limits 43 times and were in violation a total of 478 days, pumping more nitrogen into the Missouri River than they're allowed by federal law. Um, And of course, too much nitrogen in surface water causes algal blooms. When you have all of that available nutrient load that isn't normally there, different species are able to come in and take advantage of that disruption in the normal ecosystem process. And specifically, something that happens all the time in both fresh land and coastal areas is that when you have a bunch of fucking pollution from agricultural nutrients, you get crazy insane algal blooms. And these can have huge impacts on water quality. One of those little towns out in eastern Iowa, like, you know, uh, fucking, where's the the university at? Iowa City City or something? Yeah. Um, Yeah, but but yeah, they had to like move their their water source off of a river system for like weeks because of an algal bloom was releasing toxins that would have like, you know, hurt people who were drinking the water. So... Obviously, now that is being ignored in this river system. So we can kind of look a little bit about at the Trump administration specifically for this, because the number of cases the EPA initiated, well, let's take a look at their funding first. So Iowa had the smallest budget for environmental enforcement among the four states in the EPA Region 7 oversight. And they also had the largest proportionate funding decline over the past decade. And this is something that I want to make very clear. This is over the last decade. This isn't over the last four years. Trump is just an intensification of trends that started under Obama. And we're going to see this at many, many points throughout this discussion. But specifically in 2018... Um, Iowa's funding for pollution control dropped 19% to $38.3 million. And staffing over the decade also declined. Enforcement employment in Iowa declined by 10% in the decade for people charged with enforcing these policies. And the report says the EPA since 2017 has initiated fewer cases against companies in Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, and Nebraska, and sought fewer civil penalties and requirements for improvements to come into compliance with the federal law. So just to summarize, what obviously happened is that Trump put a environment-hating chief in charge of the EPA, the head of the, the waters section of the Environmental Protection Agency, was 
someone who, an attorney who represented the state of Wyoming when they sued the EPA over the Clean Water Act. So these are direct federal, direct violations of federal law, but the people in power to administer them view those federal laws as constitutional overreach, and they don't give a shit about people who might be affected by these water issues and care only about the growth of business and the externalization of those costs in, in favor of profits like we talked about last time. <laughs> this water is basically as clean as the mafia's money. Exactly, yeah, exactly. It, it is doing the laundering right now. That, that's it. There's no enforcement, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I should okay. I think that there's some. I think there's been some cases, but they're down like a significant portion. I think like thirty uh, percent um, in Iowa. But yeah, just to kind of highlight the importance of that, though, for those river systems, the Mississippi and the Missouri River. Oh, I've never heard of them. Are they large rivers? They are. They are large, and there's actually a lot of stuff that's downstream of Iowa on both of those. They they eventually come together and then they you know go to New Orleans basically. To, I don't know. To, I mean Mississippi and Missouri, those aren't very like important <laughs> states, right? <laughs> well, um, a lot of people live there though. That's the thing. So, in terms of just the people who rely on those those water sources, specifically from those rivers, it's tens of millions of people. And they're being polluted willy nilly with no regard for what might happen. I don't know. I have a hard time comprehending the fact that, you know, maybe decisions made in Iowa might have some effect on, say, the people in New Orleans. <laughs> is there any is there any historical precedent for that? Well, there's two thing there's two things I can tell you are absolutely true. Shit rolls downhill and water rolls downstream. Right. And oftentimes, if you put t- those two and two together, your shit's also rolling downstream. So you're putting shit in the water, it's ending up in people's water in Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, yeah. I see you've been to the Big Sea River. Right. I mean, every I was I was gonna talk about this at the end, but like every fucking river in South Dakota is just the most polluted trash, except for the Missouri River, which is only good because it has such a water volume and comes from cleaner places. <laughs> Basically once it once it leaves South Dakota, that's when it really starts getting messed up. Yeah, South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska just fucking wreck it. They take a beautiful thing and they destroy it. Very sad because I love the Missouri River. But anyway, I don't want to get too off my mojo. But yeah, tons of people rely on that water. And you want to like shake your head and be like, man, how can these people not understand that downstream they're just like poisoning people and causing long-term environmental degradation? But it's very simple. It's just profit. It's just because these assholes are in charge and they're still making money because they own stocks and all of these fucking dumb companies that are polluting right everyone's making a fuck you know money um all the rich people are anyway who are already rich and all the poor people are getting cancer and you know swimming in toxic water little little kids just like see a fucking river they see the big sioux river and they think oh you know hey let's just like go wading around and they're exposed to like incredible levels of like um basically cow feces they're just like swimming in like pure e coli bacteria and uh, viruses smells like money and people's pets anyway never mind so 
So what's the deal with the Clean Water Act? <laughs> what is the deal? Can we get Jerry Seinfeld to come explain this to us? What's the deal? <laughs> they should have just built all of the clean water out of an act. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll punch that one up. And and also, you know, why obviously we've already said why there isn't this enforcement of it right now but i think the better question is why is it so hard to enforce something that should be pretty obvious and simple like can you safely swim in it and eat a fish out of it is actually really hard to enforce because of all this you know well us marxists would call it you know like uh superstructure before we get into any of that though because this is a materialist podcast we have to talk about the material nature of water as a molecule right? Water can exist in all three states of matter. Solid as ice and snow, liquid as what we generally think of as water, and as gas, such as uh, vapor, steam, clouds. If you see clouds, what you're looking at is water vapor. And Earth has a lot of water. Most of it is in the ocean. Mostly that that is the water that is in in sequence with the water in the air. So most water exists between that liquid state and that vapor state. And that's what we call the water cycle. It's how we get between the vapor state from water and clouds and the air to that uh liquid state in um rivers, oceans, in our sinks. And so Water as a molecule is H2O. I want you to envision a water molecule. It looks a little bit like the head of Mickey Mouse. The ears of Mickey Mouse are the two hydrogen atoms, and the the head of Mickey Mouse is the oxygen atom. Now, and are all water molecules also anti-Semitic? Or? <laughs> um... No. <laughs> Just some of them. Um, a lot of them probably passed through anti-Semitic people. So, yeah. The reason that those two hydrogens... Well, because those two hydrogens are up there looking like Mickey Mouse's ears, that's why a water molecule exhibits polarity. Polarity is having like a positive and a negative side, right? You have two poles, north and south, whatever. And the reason that, that water is a polar molecule is because of the way electron bonding works between hydrogen and oxygen. Is this too deep, Jared? Do you think this, I, I don't know. I mean, too deep. All right. All right. <laughs> what? So are we learning uh, here? I don't want that. <laughs> think back to, um, you know, like intro introductory chemistry, right? Chemical interaction involves sharing of electrons. All, all chemical interaction is boils down to sharing electrons. And what we want to do as electrons, which are the little pieces of the atom that are orbiting the outside, right? The nucleus. They exist in the valence, the shell of the atom. We want to complete our shell. We want to either have two in our first layer of valence shell or eight in any other layer. And hydrogen is atomic number one, which means it has one electron. 
and oxygen is atomic number eight, which means it has eight electrons, two in its first shell and then six in its second valence shell. So when we form a water molecule, we are basically taking the two individual electrons from hydrogen, one each, and entering them into the orbit with the outer valence shell of oxygen. And oxygen likewise then gives two of its electrons to the valence shell of those two hydrogen atoms. So the oxygen has a full set of eight and each of the hydrogens has a full set of two. Okay. Water is a big fan of the sharing economy. Electrons. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And that's how you form the covalent because there's shared valence, a covalent bond between those hydrogen and those hydrogens and the oxygen atom. Now, again, <laughs> you though, just explain that better than any chemistry like, teacher <laughs> I ever had. <laughs> like someone that was paid money by like either the state <laughs> or yeah. like Freddie Mac. Well, you got to make it sound more complicated than it is, right? <laughs> I guess, but I mean, you know how long it took me to like understand that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, it is. It, people make it way harder than it needs to be. You can just think of it in terms of shapes, and it's pretty simple, actually. But yeah, you just are taking these two little orbital bits, and then you're sharing them together. And so, to get back to polarity, the reason you have polarity is because both of those hydrogen atoms still have within their nucleus a proton, right? Because that's what exists in the nucleus is protons, which have a positive charge, and neutrons, which have a neg or a neutral charge. The electrons, the things that are orbiting around, they have a negative charge, because you know they want they're basically well they're in dialectics with the protons in the center of the atom. They are caught in an orbit. They're pushed away, but also pulled toward right, and. Um, that's that's what leads to polarity because of those positive forces inside the hydrogen atoms they basically push away from all of the unbound electrons that are also in the outer shell of that oxygen atom because remember there are uh still two unbound pairs there's still four electrons that aren't in in sequence with anything in the outer valence shell of oxygen. And they basically push those two hydrogen atoms over to one side of the molecule. And that says, okay, over there is the positive side and over here is the negative side. And that's, that's polarity. So this polarity specifically is what gives water its emergent properties. And emergent properties are those things that we only can see as we start putting parts together. You know, they, they only come out through the synthesis. The main ones being adhesion. Well, I'm curious, Jared, do you, do you know any of these off the top of your head? Um, well, you were going to just say adhesion. So I'll yep. take that. Also one. cohesion. That was kind of the same thing. Say. Yeah. Um, surface tension. Oh uh, shit. Are they, <laughs> well, let's let's dig in on adhesion, cohesion, and surface tension. All right. right? Give me a little time here. All of those are, are uh, due to the polarity of those molecules because when you have a bunch of water molecules together, all of those negative ends line up against the positive ends 
and vice versa, right? So that's what creates the unique, you know, product of liquid water. It sticks together because of the polarity of all those molecules. Well, that is what adhesion is. You know, it sticks to surfaces and then uh, cohesion is the fact that it sticks together. And then surface tension exists because of things that are, you know, walking along that surface of the water. If they're light enough or have small enough areas of contact um, can actually just be supported by that mass of polar molecules that are stuck together. That's why you see like a meniscus if you have like a glass of water. That's the little area at the side that curls up slightly. That's because of the adhesion of the molecules of water to the sides of your your glass. All right, so um, again, all of these are going to be related related to polarity, but the next one is solvency. Water is what we might call the solvent of life in that everything, all living things, as far as we know, depend on water and exist basically in a matrix of water. This is why you have to drink water at least every three days, ideally way more than that. (laughs) But yeah, it's because all the stuff in you needs to be dissolved in water and it needs water to like move around your body, right? That's why your blood has, you know, cohesion and adhesion as well. It's so that it can effectively move nutrients and oxygen um, because of the properties of water. Uh, the next one is thermal regulation. Again, this is how you maintain a pretty steady state of temperature. It's also why like coastal areas are more moderate in climate than inland areas. It's because of the moderating effect of water on temperature, which again is just because of the strength of that polar interaction between water molecules because they have a positive negative charge lined up together it's much harder it takes more energy to separate those molecules and to create water vapor or even to just warm them up or cool them down right um so water basically acts as like a thermal sink takes on heat very slowly but when it has heat it tends to hold it very well And then the last one is just that ice is weird because it's lighter than water, liquid water, which is not what you normally expect with things. And there's also some polarity explanation for that, but I won't, I won't go into it. All right. No, I I like just ice is weird. (laughs) Yeah. Just leave. I mean, that's what, that's the main thing. Ice is just weird. If ice didn't work the way that it worked, we would be totally fucked. Like everything would just be ice. It like expands as it freezes, whereas most things do the opposite, that type of thing. Exactly. Yes. All right. So because of all of these properties, water cycles continuously through the environment, through both non-living and living things. And of course, what we've just done is, is, you know, given the material essence of water, this is why we all need water. This is why we need clean water. This is why pollution is a problem. Um, this is why, you know, other issues of environmental decay should be concerning is because of these properties of water and the fact that we rely on it. And so we're going to talk briefly about the water cycle. Basically water's kind of a slut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, my water has probably been through you and your water has probably been through, you know, a million other people, right? Yeah. Every water molecule that you've slept with also, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> something like that. You're sleeping with every other water molecule they've ever been um, had pol- polar attraction. That's right. To. <laughs> so if your water molecules out there like fucking a bunch of cattle yards, <laughs> you're gonna get budge. That's that's a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I can smell it on them, but you know, yeah, they can do incredible things with perfumes these days. Right. So let's talk about how it moves around. How does, how does water, you know, get around through, through all of us living and non-living things. And just envision in your head, you know, the seventh grade science diagram of the water cycle. You've got some rain and snow that's falling on some hills on some land. And then it, you know, it's like surface runoff. It collects in rivers, but also in groundwater. And those rivers and that groundwater contributes to lakes and oceans, but also plants and animals drink that groundwater and plants and animals emit water vapor. We do it all the time as we're breathing. That's why your breath feels moist. Um, Plants do the same. They're emitting it because they're also breathing. They're also doing respiration and the sun is constantly warming up bodies of water, like the ocean and evaporating water off of that and all of that, Water vapor back up in the air becomes more weather and leads to more rain and snow. That's it. All right. I'm about to go cycle some water right now. So sure. It's a good place to pause. Yeah. I dude, we've, I don't know. This might even be more than a two parter. I didn't realize, but we'd already gone over like 50 minutes. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. We're almost an hour in. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, we aren't even, (laughs) We're literally this might be like a three-parter. <laughs> good lord, we're like still talking about what water is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's important. I think well, it's but. definitely important. I'm just saying. <laughs> At least we got uh, Donnell out there too, so we kind of set it up well. I think <laughs> Danielle loves water. Don- I know that for a fact. <laughs> all right, all right. So, getting back to our seventh grade science diagram, okay. Think back to that water cycle diagram. And now I want you to tell me, Jared, where are the wetlands on that diagram? On the diagram? Yeah. Where did the wetlands fit in? Well, I don't even know if they made it on there, but adjacent to the rivers, I suppose. All right. So how do you, I mean, adjacent to the rivers, like you're talking... You know, two feet, 200 feet, two miles. Um, all of the above. So everything's a wetland, right? Uh, potentially. I mean, everything gets wet. If it's land, it's going to get wet at some point if it has water falling on it. Yeah. It's a wet land. Well, duration matters a little bit. Sure, sure. There's got to be some some barrier there. I can agree with that. But yeah, picking out where it is, pretty big matter of perspective yeah sounds like especially uh, sounds like we're gonna open up some new markets here well (laughs) excited well this question of wetlands again it's kind of um oh you're gonna hit us with some legalese here pretty soon aren't you can we go back to the i'm just saying (laughs) look wetlands are are you know, critically important in terms of the transitional areas between drier ecosystems and submerged aquatic ecosystems. You want to have a long area of passage for that water to move both over the surface and through subsurface layers to be purified and used by plants and animals and not polluted. 
So yes, wetlands are real and super important in terms of their transitional state. Uh, right? What if I'm a big fan of like erosion and parking lots and uh, I don't know, <laughs> metallic tastes whenever I drink water? Well, let me just jump it way ahead. Things are looking up for you, actually. But Oh, um, yeah? <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. I could use um, a win today. Well, so what exactly is a wetland and where is the wetland as it, you know, coincides with, you know, other, other surface waters? It's going to be a huge question for the Clean Water Act and an issue of tremendous debate. And so, again... Wetland itself is basically, what is it, like a jumbo shrimp, right? Is it an oxymoron? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it sounds like there's not a lot of wetlands in Colorado right now. No, it's pretty dry out here. But there are still areas that, you know, um, could be totally dry for years and then get like one flush of rain and produce immense biodiversity over a short amount of time, right? My point being that instead of saying wetland is an oxymoron, we should just acknowledge that's the dialectical like synthesis. It's the interaction of drier areas and wetter areas, you know, between the fucking ocean and the tippy top of, you know, the mountain or the middle of the Gobi Desert, right? In between there somewhere are some wetlands. And again, it's kind of a dumb concept, but it's an important one because in that transitional zone is basically where all the ecological value is. That's where you get your water filtered. That's where you get your habitat for all your species that, you know, support your biodiversity. If you're an indigenous person, it's where you get most of your sustenance. It's where you spend most of your life. You're, you love the wetlands, right? We love them. <laughs> but we love the wetlands. We Just one more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what I guess we're saying here is that all ecosystems evolve under specific water regimes. And therefore, trying to separate any one part out of that and say, this is the especially important part, right? You have to acknowledge that you're arbitrarily assigning some value to it. When you draw a line around a lake and say, this is the wetland and this is the not wetland, you're making a totally arbitrary distinction. There is, you know... You can justify it all you want. You can talk about like facultative plants versus, you know, um, and, you know, anaerobic soil conditions. But at the end of the day, you're basically arbitrarily drawing a line and saying this is the important bit over here. This is the not as important bit over there. Because it all it all works together is what I'm saying. You know, the water doesn't just magically appear in one spot and things are constantly changing. All right, so where are the wetlands on that uh, map? Yeah, it's around the rivers. It's in prairie potholes. It's in places you might not expect them, like old drainage ditches. Things that humans create can become wetlands. But yeah, you have like a particular type of like plants and you know animals that live around there: cattails, bulrushes, um, toads and frogs, and you know herons and that kind of thing. Somebody's overflowing septic tank. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so then thinking back to our diagram, where does the pollution come from on that diagram? What do you think, Jared? Where does the pollution come from? Yeah. If we were going to make some additions to our diagram. Um, well, probably right on the river. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is like we just said with the 
examples of those two industrial operations in Iowa, just literally pipes that are like <laughs> pouring pollutants out into the river. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, there's a spot in the Missouri right by the mid American energy plant that I've referenced before in this podcast that uh, I used uh-huh. to go catfishing at because <laughs> the catfish straight up loved those big ass pipes dumping that warm yeah. water in. But yeah, so that's what we would call a point source of pollution. Basically, it's like you can point at it and say, there it is right there. That's what you should think of when you think of <laughs> There's point the sources. source. I'm pointing at it. But also like, yeah, wastewater treatment plants are point sources. Large like feedlot operations are treated as point sources of pollution because you often can like you can smell it from, you know, 10 miles away. Like, I wonder where the pollution is around here. I grew up like probably seven miles from the nearest feedlot, but man when the when the ground started thawing in the spring or just any time it rained more than about an inch you could just you like taste the feedlot when you went outside yeah i know some of the huge operations you know you can you can smell them from 30 miles away sometimes you know all right so yeah um those are, those are like point sources of pollution because we can point at them and say there's the pollution. But there are also non-point sources of pollution as well. And those are the things that we've also kind of talked about briefly like agricultural runoff. Anytime it rains and it washes all of those pesticides and fertilizers off of that, off of that field into the stream or bits them down into the local groundwater table – that's a non-point source of pollution because you can't really point at it easily and say there's the pollution, but rather it's more because of an aggregated buildup because shit runs downhill of pollution elsewhere in the environment that gets collected in the water. Shoot, my, so another example would be like lawns. Yeah, I was going to say my grandma lives on McCook Lake and uh, there isn't any agricultural inputs to that. But yeah, the amount of fertilizer put on the lawns around that is enough to have just massive algal blooms in the spring. Right. Yeah. Which now the zebra Um, mussels are sort of helping out with. So, and so just to spoil the, the end of however long this series is since the clean water act. Now the major source of pollution is non-point sources. The clean water act for all of its flaws did regulate point source pollution fairly effectively. But it's also I mean, work to, to be determined. Sort of obscure what's actually going on. Exactly. Exactly. I also wanted to just touch on that we pollution isn't always just you know chemicals and um, you know literal bullshit. Yeah. Sometimes it's rock and roll. Yeah. Those fucking teenagers. <laughs> But seriously, though, teenagers, like, leave a lot of trash in our waterways. So they, like, leave plastic and, you know, plastic's a big problem, basically. That's what I wanted to say. We don't really think about plastic as a source of pollution. Plus they reproduce and have other eventual teenagers that do the same thing. Yeah, they have fucking condoms laying around on our our three acres. (laughs) (laughs) I have not found a condom yet. Okay, I think that's good. <laughs> I have found some interesting... Wait, maybe that's not good. <laughs> well, uh, at least fetuses are biodegradable. <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> All right, you're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> F- 
fetuses are compost bin approved. <laughs> Just make sure that you like cover them up quite a bit so that they don't smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not <laughs> let's not incriminate ourselves here. We've only got forty listeners or so, so we can't right, afford right. to have any of you go to jail yet. <laughs> But yeah, plastic breaks down slowly in the environment over a long period of time. So like microplastics are all over the place um, in fresh I mean, they, and They don't even really break waters. down. They just get smaller. Right. That's it. They don't break down. They just get smaller and smaller. You're able to like uh, ingest them and then they get, you know, like clogged up in fish's guts and stuff. Yeah. So um, just before we get into the Clean Water Act history, to summarize briefly... The Clean Water Act set out to make sure that people could swim in and catch fish from surface waterways in the U.S. And I'll just, I've got 15 pages of notes. I'm going to jump to the end. As of today, more than half of U.S. stream and river miles, more than 70% of lakes, ponds, and reservoirs, and 90% of ocean near the coast continues to violate water quality standards. So the Clean Water Act, although effective in controlling some types of pollution, has not resulted in clean water overall. Well, speaking of your shit runs downhill, little adage there, I mean... It's a good example of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, 50% for streams and rivers, 70% for lakes, ponds, and reservoirs, and then 90% for the ocean. As you go farther and farther down, more and more water collects together and more and more of that pollute, those pollutants are um, concentrated. You know what I want to know? Like, where is this 10% of the ocean that is not like heavily polluted? Yeah, my mind immediately jumped to the Pacific Northwest, but then I was like, ooh, no. No, not at all. And, That's like one no. of the textbook examples. That's the worst. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, I was um, thinking, is it like Antarctica? Well, this is for the U.S., mind you. That's oh, just for, for the United the States because okay. we're talking clean water. Yeah, we Act. own Antarctica now, right? No, it's well, it's an international deal. But uh, yeah, well. I think I think though it's probably like Alaska, probably a lot of <laughs> our Alaska. military budget tells me that we own Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I figure that ten percent's got to be like mostly Alaska. I bet. I suppose. Um, is it although just? Like, I know there's a lot of offshore drilling. Is it just too. like the frozen coastline? <laughs> probably (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah that's our pristine that's the one we got left in our back pocket i was trying to like you know make a joke and feel better and then i just almost felt worse (laughs) ice is weird you're right it is weird yeah yeah why does it float like that i don't know All right, we'll leave it off there for our introductory episode on the Clean Water Act. Tune in next time to the Compost Bin of History for the history of water management in America before the 1972 landmark legislation governing clean water came into effect. Playing us out this week, I'm going to include an entire most deaf song, New World Water which I think really sums up our episode today thematically. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. There's nothing more refreshing than having a clean, crisp, clean glass of water than a warm, summer's day. Thank you, refreshing drink.
tried with your friend. New world order make the tide rise high. Come in land and make your house go by. Fools done upset the old man river. Need to carry slave ships and fed him dead niggas. Now it's really full of need about the flood something. Now I'm doing rope that ain't tied to nothing. Tell your crew use the H2 and wise amounts since the new world water and every drop counts. You can laugh and take it as a joke if you wanna. But it don't rain a full week some summers. And it's about to get real wild in the half. You be buying every yard to take a fucking bath. Heads is acting wild, sip from room, pumping dank. Competing with the next man for higher playing rank. So now I ain't got time trying to be big Hank. Fuck a bank. I need a 20 year water tank. Cause while these double heads is out here sweating they goods. The sun is sitting in the treetops, burning the woods. And it's a flame from the blaze here. Higher round, higher. And say, don't drink the water. We need it for the fire. New York is drinking that dude. And all that California is drinking that dude. All your north and down south is drinking that dude. Used to have minerals and zinking that dude. Now they say you got land is stinking that Push the water table lopsided. Used to be free, now of course you will feed the all things for they know that they roll across the sea. Man, you gotta cook with it, baby, clean with it. When it's hot, summertime, you feed for it. You gotta put it in the iron, you steam with it. That's what they dress me to treat diseases with. The rich and poor, black and white, got need for it. And everybody in the world can agree with that. Consumption promotes health and easiness. Go too long without it on this earth and you leaving it. Americans wasting it on some leisure shit. Another nation be desperately seeking that Bacteria washing up on they beaches Say, Don't drink the water so they can't wash their feet with it Young babies in perpetual needy that Epidemics hopping up up the petri dish Trolls send a shot of play all secret at To avoid public panic and freaking There are places where TB is common as TB Cause foreign based companies go and get greedy The type of cats who pollute the whole shoreline Have a purified cellar for a dollar twenty-five Now the world is drinking that new Your mom's white and baby girl is drinking that new Up and down south is drinking it. So just have to go to your sink for it. The cash register going to chink for it. Pearl Harbor's the monoxide. Got the fish looking cockeyed. Used to be free, now of course you a feed. Cause it's all about getting that cat money. 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 It's all about getting your cat money. It's all about Everything around me, move.